Bookshoot. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 134 is recorded live October 18th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson. Here's just a few of the articles we're going to talk about tonight. We have Looters Prey on the Rex. We have Daniel Craig taking a nap. And we have um, actually a few cool videos along with some unexploded bombs. But before we get started, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. Mac is, he might join us in a little bit, but he had a meeting he's going to. And then Jim had to go out of town on some personal business. So I'd be surprised if we see him tonight. But filling in for both of their, both of them with his capable dive experience is Dave Tonneman. How you doing today, Dave? Uh, doing good, Darren. And, uh, some pretty big shoes to fill. Mac and Jim. Wow. Yep, you got you got both of them that you'll have to fill the regulator, so to speak. So or flippers or fins. <laughs> fill when, the fins. Yeah, when you when you say flippers, it you got you got to use that word because it gets everybody all riled up. Split flippers. Split flippers. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump right on into the news, get that out of the way. Uh, we have quite a few follow-ups from uh, previous week. And I was thought I had these in order, but I guess not. So let's... No, you started out, and I'll pick up where you're at. So here we go. The first one is a rescue from above, a plane's passenger's aid a stranded sailor. And I thought this was exceptionally cool. Uh, a yacht that had been drifting for several days in Australian waters was rescued with help from above. A group of passengers on a Air Canada jumbo jet spotted the 36-foot yacht drifting. They were about 270 nautical miles off the coast of Sydney. They helped rescuers pinpoint uh, the boat's location about 16 hours after its craft had capsized. Um, I, who was 44, spent two weeks sailing his yacht, Streaker, down the coast of Sydney when he encountered a wicked storm. A 70-foot wave flipped his boat and smashed his mast. Um, he says it's extraordinary. The noise is like an explosion. You're upside down, smashing around inside the boat, filling with water. A wave came along, huge wave. It just picked me up and rolled me over, and I smashed in the roof of the yacht, and I was back on the table of the yacht. The boat flooded with water. I was up to my knees in water. You do think your number's up. Uh, what he did is he triggered an emergency beacon in hopes that rescuers would pinpoint his location. Uh, but what happened is the Air Canada jet was the one who spotted him. Uh, he said he heard the plane passing by. He did not see it. When he came up to deck, the plane was circling around again, and it was in his sights. Um, so the jet, which was the closest aircraft to the emergency beacon, its captain helped Australian authorities by locating damaged yacht. The captain, um, Andrew Robertson, took the Boeing 777 from uh, 38,000 feet to 4,000 feet, and he told the crew and the passengers to look out the windows and try and spot the vessel. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, that would be, that. I mean, not that he was out there being stranded, but could you imagine being on a plane and all of a sudden you, you're dropping down to, I mean, that 4,000 feet over water has to feel like you're skimming. 
Oh, I'm sure. That's and then being told to watch out the windows. We're looking for a boat. <laughs> definitely add to the trip. Yeah, so very cool. Well, and he was out there drifting for a while. Yeah, he he'd been going for a while. So I don't know if his uh, beacon they weren't getting a good enough signal on it or what was up, but they they knew he was out there. I mean, this plane had to know. They had to notify the plane. So I you know it kind of makes you wonder. Yeah, you know, what kind of approval does a pilot have to have for that? You know, it kind of reminds me of the Costa Concordia. You know, when they're doing the uh, the turn into the shore and then they ground. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, do you turn and uh, you know something happens? I mean, you're at four thousand feet and an engine stalls. You don't have a lot of recovery time. No, not really. That's you know, I'd be interested to hear. That'd be that'd be a good one for Mac. <laughs> he would probably <laughs> have the answer. Yeah. <laughs> that's one I can't answer. That's a, that's an interesting question, though. Uh and then uh, we have another rescue. This time it was a cave, cave diving experience out of Florida. Uh, and this was this week. On noon on Monday, a group of divers made a phone call to cave adventurers, informing them a fellow diver was lost. Um, the people getting the call said, we knew exactly what to do. We had everything already prepared, tanks filled, tanks ready to go. Everything just needs to be thrown in the back of the truck, uh, which was Frank, uh, manager of cave adventures. On Monday, uh, he and Ed... Um, he said, uh, he, Gonzalez, laid in the bed of my truck while I drove 90 miles an hour to the site putting my gear together. Uh, they said when they got the call, 11 minutes had passed. He says that's unheard of, but it's also made a big difference. Big difference between bringing out an individual or a body. Yeah, that's that's this is a pretty awesome story because very, very seldom do you ever have underwater rescues. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thinking about... You know how the the amount of time it takes for you to real. I mean, I, I guess you realize if you're you're buddied up when you lose somebody fairly quickly. But I'm just thinking, like, say this was Jenny Springs. Uh, by the time you get out of the cave, through the entrance, to a spot where you have a dry cell phone, and then to know who to call right away, to the point where you get a hold of somebody who's ready to respond, and then heads right there. That's absolutely amazing. And the one thing I don't see in the story is what actually happened. Did the diver just get turned around? Did, did he silt it out? Did he lose lines and just get confused? Yeah, they just don't give a whole lot of detail in the in the, the article. Uh, it sounds like they're fairly new cave divers. They were certified, but yeah, amazing. Because I, I would not. Because I'm I'm thinking even if it wasn't a cave environment, say that we just flipped it around and said it was at a quarry. Well, a quarry is going to be different because you're going to have divers typically right there. You know, if we take uh, White Star or Gilboa as an example, and somebody There's a lot got, of ground at the bottom of a quarry, though. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, depending on what happened. Yeah. You know, are they are they lost? Are they in trouble? Are they trapped? Yeah. Well, and then you think, well, maybe a cave's easier. You know, if you know what cave well, it is. From the chat room, uh, we've got Paul who is in that area, and uh, he said that what he heard is they're in a side mount cave, so I'd imagine it's probably tight, a lot of restrictions, and uh-huh. they're diving doubles, back mount doubles. I'm assuming, Paul. And uh, they, maybe they became entrapped. I'll have to look into this story a little deeper and, and see if anybody has anything out there that explains what actually transpired. Yeah, I, I'm sure the forums have got to have a lot of opinions. And then since we mentioned Costa Concordia uh, earlier, we have a couple articles on that. Uh, one is that uh, report that the equipment may not have been working before the crash. Uh, Italian court heard on Tuesday that equipment aboard the luxury liner may not have been functioning when it ran aground. A list of issues was compiled by court-appointed experts, including a wide range of alleged malfunctions from lights that did not work during the disaster to the possibility that radar equipment had been turned off or broken. Uh, The the, uh, cruise liner capsized on uh, January 13th after running aground. 
So to me, though, that that doesn't if you're the captain, that doesn't get you off if stuff's broke. It's like a pilot flying with a, a plane that's got gear not working. Right. And you are the captain. Everything that occurs on that vessel falls beneath you. You are responsible for everything that occurs, whether it's equipment, whether it's something the crew does. But I'm looking at this, and it really doesn't get into a whole lot of detail, but when they're saying lights did not work, are they talking about, like, battery-operated exit lights, stuff like that? I mean, how many lights are probably on that vessel? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to – we focus on what wasn't done right. You have to look on what was, and that they had 4,000 passengers they were able to get uh, disembarked. So most of the crew – I mean, other than the fact that Captain Ryan it on the ground, uh, they had 4,000 people off the boat in two hours which I'm picturing that even at port, you probably don't move people off that quickly normally. Right, right. And did, did you also notice later in the article, it talks about where uh, Shatina was talking to two of the two German passengers from the Coast Concordia, and he, he said that, uh, I saved your lives and those of many other passengers to them. It's interesting, interesting story. Yeah, he was... I still uh, think it would have made a better dive site. Yeah, they should have left it uh, in my book. That would have been a great thing to dive on. Probably done more for that town next to it than the cruise lines do. Oh, most certainly. Uh, any airlines. I, mean, I know a lot of divers that would have been on a plane in a heartbeat to head over there and dive a fresh cruise ship wreck. And then if that's not enough, they say looters have been preying on the coast of Concordia, which uh, I think uh, that was kind of predicted that that was going to happen. It makes you wonder how well they really watching it. You know, they made it seem like there was people all the time on it, but you knew that at some point they were going to stop. Uh, watching it, and it appears that the looters are just taking advantage of all the ropes, lines, and holes that are cut by the rescuers. Uh, they noticed that looters have taken, uh, they broke shop windows and have stole jewelry and watches. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the way they were discussing it, it, it was well watched. It was being patrolled 24 7, and are they sure it didn't police divers with new watches? <laughs> well, that, I didn't want to bring that up, but that was kind of what I'm thinking is who better to go in and get some of the stuff than somebody who has already been on it. Right. Fact, I, I'm still waiting to see the bell show up on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I'm thinking, I mean, and, and you know, no disrespect for uh, rescue personnel who are in there helping. Uh, but, you know, you could just always take a little catch bag with you, move stuff off to the side, put in a nice little area. You come back for it later, drop it in the corner. This is another reason it would have made a great dive site. Yeah, well, you could off of that ledge. Yeah. What you could have done is you could have done like how it is, how they do at the uh, the gold and gem mines, uh, which is something that Mac went to uh, a couple weeks ago, where you go and you buy the bucket for so much. They could have done the same thing for the wreck. You know, you, you charge you to go and dive it, and then charge you so much per pound or whatever you bring off. You know, so you know fifty, nice. bu- 50 bucks a pound if that's gold. Hey, you made a bargain. If uh, you know if it's glassware, oh well. Still would be very very cool. I would I would absolutely love to dive it. It's not over yet. <laughs> it's not over yet. Yeah, they still got they still got to turn that up right. It could they could uh, do a number and flip it flip it the wrong way. Yeah. And then this next. Although one, they are the way they're the way they're going to recover it, I've seen the plan now. But the way they're going to recover it, they are actually going to flip it up towards that the edge of that shelf. But they're building a cradle to go underneath it. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll probably end up getting it. Drat. Just 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 slip it right on over. <laughs> Yeah, they because they're they're welding the tanks onto the side, gonna float one of the tanks and ride it and on that platform. So, next one is scientists attest underwater mats to smother Asian clams. We've covered this one a couple times uh, over the last year and a half. Um, and this is uh, in Lake Tahoe. 
Miles are covering a problem for the tourist destination. Uh, Asian Clam Project is having divers place rubber mats on about five acres of the infested lake at the mouth of Emerald Bay in an effort to smother the clams. A team gathered Tuesday at UC Davis to prepare the rubber pond lining material, rolling out and reinforcing it with steel rods. Divers are expected to start uh, installing the mats this week with 16 feet of water on gravel silt that separates the bay from Lake Tahoe. They say billions of fingertip-sized clams, uh, which is an Asian clam, it's a non-native species, is creating clouds of stringy algae in the water. Uh, I guess they're, they're, they're digesting so much material and excreting uh, nutrients that it's causing the algae blooms. Divers Only eight hundred and ten thousand dollars. Yeah, the bargain. They say the population of clams is about six thousand to seven thousand clams per square yard. Um, they said the technique was successfully tested in a pair of half-acre plots in the southeastern portion of the lake in 2010, and they may use more extensively in the lake in the future. It also has been adopted by officials to control Asian clams in Lake George in New York. So, what do they have to do? Cover the entire bottom of the lake? You know, I just my experience with what we've got here with zebra mussels is blocking one spot doesn't mean they're not going to be in another. Right. So Anywhere I don't. you have something they can they can cling to, they're going to appear. Yeah. And then, are you really killing them by smothering? What they're saying, part of it is it uh, robs the clams of oxygen. But it, are they completely dead when you know? Do they like die die underneath the mats, or are they just kind of lay dormant waiting for oxygen to return. Right. And then what what other impact do you have to the environment by covering the bottom of a lake with rubber? No. I'm going to guess is that it's going to get everything, including the clams. Just in that five-acre area. Lake Tahoe is actually rather large. Yeah, so I don't I don't know if this is a test or, or what, but you know, as much as I'd like to say, hey, it's great they're doing it, I, I'm kind of skeptical that it's going to work. Yeah. From the entertainment bit, uh, we've got that new James Bond movie coming out, and Daniel Craig uh, has shared a few more details about the filming. Daniel Craig, uh, who's uh, reportedly a avid scuba diver, uh, he says he likes rolling in the deep so much that he was dozing off, dozing off while submerged in the deep blue. The star says that uh, he snuck away to catch 40 winks at 30 feet under the water. He says it was his favorite spot because nobody can find you. I spent most of my time underwater when they're not shooting. I swim to the bottom and hug the tanks at the studios. I just like to sit in the bottom, put the respirator on, and hide. He says it was so great. Sometimes I fell asleep, but when you get to sleep down there, it's a wonderful being in the water. When you hear, worse, Daniel? Nice. <laughs> well, that, Hope, that, that's relaxed. Hopefully he's using a full face mask. Well, that's what I was wondering. I wouldn't picture, well, I'll have to see the movie. I wouldn't picture him using a full face mask, but maybe they did in this particular scene. I would imagine, well, he he was actually uh, running the camera, wasn't he? Or was he? No, no, no. No, he's a he's a he's James he's, Bond. Yeah, he's James Bond. Duh. Well, so interesting. Well, they may have, you know, some of these full masks would show a lot of his face. I think if I'm an actor, I'd want to see, have as much of my face shown as possible. So maybe it was a full mask. Full I'd like to mask. just watch the movie and we'll see what he uses. Yep, coming out here in November. So, we'll see I, what kind of respirator he's diving with. Yeah, hope, hopefully it's a good movie. We we need something to help the dive industry a little bit. I'll agree there. Have you ever had the urge to take a nap while you were down? Oh yeah, I've I've had that a few times. I'm I am the most relaxed underwater. You now it's like I've said in the past. You know, uh, you know, one day underwater fixes a whole week of shit. <laughs> it does. 
And, I've uh, actually, I've, I've dozed off, but I've never really truly napped. I'm always afraid that I'll sleep through my tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would not. I, I'm one of those people who can, when I can't nap, I can can't nap for 15, 20 minutes. And, yeah, I would, uh, that'd be it. Or I'd, I'd spit out my regulator or who knows. Yeah, I see all kind of bad things happening. I just, unless I'm wearing a full face mask uh, with a buddy standing there to wake me up. Hey, you're down to a thousand psi. I don't know. Would you? Would you? I bet you'd wake up pretty quickly when the when the air shuts off. That would be an abrupt wake up, though. Yeah, well, not the kind you'd want. And then here's another way of having a wake up. We have tons of unexploded bombs on coastal waters. Thirty-one million pounds of unexploded bombs are laying in the ocean dump sites just off U.S. coastal waters. Uh, this is a result of a researcher's claim. Thousands of gallons of mustard gas lie off New Jersey coast. Texas A&M oceanographers uh, say that other dump sites in the Gulf of Mexico and Hawaii and other areas. The amount that has been dumped is unbelievable. No one has, seems to have re- reported seeing explosives in the Gulf. We felt it was our responsibility to report it. Now, what I can't figure out from the article is did they actually see the explosives or are they just bringing up that they're out there so that you know when you come across them? Well, uh, I, I was reading a couple other articles on this, and there, everything that was being disposed of was planned to be disposed of beyond the edge of the continental shelf. But there were some of them that it looks like maybe they didn't really want to go that far. Yeah, there's there's always been a history of short dumping. Yes. Back when it was legal. You know, it, it's no longer legal. It ended in the 70s where they're no longer allowed to dump like that. But uh, you know, even though that was easy money, they wanted easier money and Somebody just probably, because you can imagine it, you got kind of a, a rough stormy day and somebody says, piss on it, I'm not going out here in 12-foot waves. And they just kind of say, up oh, close enough, blunk. Quite. And, so. you know, you also have to wonder, in, in the article, they ask, you know, we don't know much about all these bombs. It's been 40 to 60 years they've been down there. And then they also state that the state of munitions cannot be easily determined, which makes me think that they're talking about the ones that are in deep water beyond the continental shelf. Yeah. I mean, is, is but as bad as mustard it, gas off the coast of New Jersey? Is it really going to hurt anything? No, no. I mean, uh, the, there's going to be some wildlife that is in the immediate area. Um, that stuff will dilute fairly quickly, and uh, I'd have to look up the the chemical makeup on it. But I believe it actually is an organic compound. It's phosgene. It's phosgene. Yeah. It's you can create it with. Uh, well, I'm not going to say it, but yeah. Um, Don't try this at home. It's a very simple compound. Yeah. And it has to be airborne. It's I don't I don't know that anybody's ever studied underwater deployment, but our decontamination methods for those those kind of items involve soap and water. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not as bad as other chemicals. Uh, I would be I would be more concerned with you know coming across the uh, you know bills down there and thinks he sees a big bone. <laughs> really, it's it's not a bone, Bill. And then yeah. he's hitting it with his river tool. You you mean like my uh, rhino? Uh tooth yeah exactly <laughs> and those those are the type of things i mean you could you imagine a grenade that uh you know the pins dissolved and you just happen to bump that and yeah uh, but you know with with the fact that this stuff has been down there now for 40 years since we've stopped dumping it out there and we actually do have disposal sites in several places around the country where they actually incinerate this stuff now so i really do believe they quit dumping it but it's been 40 42 years since they quit doing it 42 years in salt water, if you look at some of the artificial reefs that have been dropped in the last 10 years, any amount of degradation on them, the ocean doesn't like when we put stuff in there. It, it eats it. And a majority of these things have a thin metal casing. I, I can just imagine that most of them are pretty well water-saturated. 
I'm sure some of them are still intact to an extent, but the salt water is, is pretty rough on metal objects. And did, did you see later in the post where it said, uh, uh, researchers say unexploded bombs are closest to Texas and Louisiana, and there have been some reports of shrimpers dredging up hissing barrels that could be mustard gas. Nice. Yes, I, I just I saw that. Yeah. It, if it hisses, throw it back. <laughs> exactly. And oh. I'd like to see some photographs of what they were bringing back. Yeah. Well, we run into uh, a lot of these inland lakes and quarries around us. We find barrels. And what we figure barrels are frequently is uh, either waste oil or waste fertilizer. And some of that fertilizer, especially in concentrated forms, can be really bad. So we tend to, barrels is something that we don't mess with. Yeah, I've run into a lot of 55-gallon barrels, and when I see a barrel, I ignore it. Yeah, so... I stay, I get away from it. So they're talking about mustard gas. I'm much more scared of all the barrels that have been dumped in the last 40 years yeah. in our, in our lake. And you never know what, you have no idea what could be in it. No, because there's no placard on those. Yeah, that was somebody who knew they had something bad, and they just didn't want to pay to have it disposed of, so they just said, hey, Bob, here's 20 bucks. Go take this down to the boat boat ramp and roll it in. Just roll it down the ramp. Yeah. And you know, a lot of those I've seen, they've, they've got holes rusted in them. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen a whole lot of them that look like they could still contain something. Well, some of them that I've, the, the ones that I've gotten close enough to see, there's usually an end off them or, the, the, or both ends are gone. But uh, there's, you know, I've heard of uh, some of the divers in the club coming across piles where there'll be 10 or 15 just kind of piled up where they got yeah. dumped off something in a hurry. So, Well, you know, we always have been really hard on uh, on the environment, and luckily in more recent times, everybody's a little more aware, and I think there's a lot more restraint now, and things are disposed of correctly now, more so than in the past. You know, in the 70s, it was, yeah, well, in the early 90s when I was Navy, we threw quite a bit over the side. Now everything is actually compacted and brought back. Yeah, well, I, I remember it wasn't too long ago where that was normal operation for cruise lines, mm-hmm. where uh, you know now they're all zero emissions or they're recycling and taking everything back to port. But it used to be normal just to, to flush it over. Well, heck, the uh, waste, the bathrooms used to just eject into the water. Yes. And then, in, and then here in Michigan, we have a one of our ferries that probably won't be running another year because they can't modernize. Uh, it was a coal burner. And what they do with the coal slurry is once they get out to the middle of the lake, they would eject it, and they can no longer meet uh, environmental requirements. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I don't have – I wouldn't call myself a tree hugger, but there are things that we've done to, uh, to our planet that we really shouldn't be doing. It is the only one we have. Yeah, and, and I, I don't like to, to play in the, in the poop, so to speak. So the yeah, cleaner quite. we keep it, the, the better the diving we're going to have. Exactly. And then we'll have a uh, – when we get to the video segment, we have a couple of videos that uh, one of them shows graphically what we're, we're doing actively today. It was the video was shot this last weekend. Uh, next article is cooling off in the heat of battle. They have uh, British soldiers in Afghanistan are learning to scuba dive. And uh, how they're doing it is they have a tank that has been built into the middle of the camp and they've been diving in it. The uh, three meter deep tank holds 70,000 liters of water and is, uh, uh, been popular with the troops, and they're actually using it to keep their scuba training up to date. So, Only the British. <laughs> can you log that? I mean, how, so what do they say three meters at like nine feet? Well, as I'm reading this, oh, okay, they say after uh, they get back to the U.K., they, they'll be able to dive up to 20 meters. 
Yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, I mean I, that would... if I was if I was in the desert, I'd I'd certainly take them up on it. It'd be fun. It might be a good way to introduce new people to diving too. You got a little bit of motivation. It's a hundred degrees out there. Well, yeah, and and you've got a very very uh, tight audience. I mean, there's always a lack of entertainment in Afghanistan, and uh, that's that's a good way to get new divers. Interesting. Captain di- Mick Stewart, yep. Mick Stewart, 42, thought it would be a good idea to use my skills as a diving instructor to teach some of the lads in their spare time. Huh? You can tell he's not Patty. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't hear anything. Uh, That's pretty cool. It is. Um, all divers are trained according to the rules and safety measures set up by the BSAC, the UK's governing body for diving. Uh, uh, Lance Corporal Ben Loveridge said he is... Uh, uh, he successfully took the impromptu diving course. Another diver says it was very strange diving in the middle of Camp Bastion. So excellent. I had a, I had a bunch of guys that I worked with that uh, were on a mission for a year over in the uh, Red Sea area, and I think from what I heard, about a third of them actually ended up certifying. It was the only thing around that they could do for entertainment. Hey, it worked my book. And here's more uh, divers is always better. And then here's another spot to to give diving a try. This is a, a copper country mine uh, up in the UP, Delaware uh, mines. Uh, the mine is still operating the first level, but the other levels have been flooded. Uh, some of them nobody's been in for over 120 years. The divers, um, but they put a video. So it's about a six-minute video if you take a look at it. Not terribly exciting, but uh, inter- interesting nonetheless. Um, fascinated by, by mines and diving. They they consider it to be very safe to dive in there because they've got accurate maps of how the uh, the tram tracks and the floor are laid out and uh, escape routes. Uh, what they're looking for is artifacts that they can bring up. Uh, the mine operators would love to put them in their museum. That's interesting seeing that that's John Jansen doing that. He does a lot of stuff with Yitka. Oh, does he? Yeah, he's he's the one that shot the video of the L.R. Doty off the coast of Milwaukee. Oh, okay. He's... He shoots some pretty awesome video. I'm going to have to actually watch the video. I don't want to click it now and get the sound and all that. But, uh, yeah, I can definitely see where that'd be cool going down into the mine. Yeah. yeah and there's and you, it gives you, if you want to know what it's like to silt out, there is a couple spots in the video where uh, the visibility does go down. But then there's fairly clear water. Now, is that, is that some diving you'd consider doing? No. <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not really into caves and mines. Oh, I don't know. I, I might do the mine because it's a little more open. You know, I have no problem going into a wreck, but I just, I, for some reason, I can't see myself doing caves. And I kind of relate mines to caves. Yeah, for, just, for, for me, as long as I can fit through it, you know, I'm not going to do any squeezes. But uh, if it's open enough where I can go through, kind of like a penetration in a wreck, Mm-hmm. then I'd be willing to do it. What I do have kind of a fascination with it because my family in Maine, they used to have open pit wells. And I was always kind of freaked out and drawn to them at the same time. You know, like you didn't want to get too close to the edge because you're afraid they'd suck you. But you want to know in. what's in there? Oh, yeah, you want to know what's in there. And then you're picturing you know, all the stuff that's been thrown in over the years, coins and stuff. <coughs> I'm kind of that same way in a parking lot. If I'm... Uh, if I'm walking a parking lot, I feel like the uh, the manholes and the drains will suck the keys out of my hands. <laughs> nice, interesting chat going on in the uh, in the chat room about caves, and you know we've got Paul in there who's a caver, and a couple other that are pointing out you know, just diving in caves really doesn't interest me, but love seeing the videos. 
that's kind of the way I am. I love seeing the videos that are coming out of caves. There's some really, really awesome scenery in there. Yeah. Well, like the ones that really interest me are like the cenotes or some of the large underwater streams that they have, like in uh, Central America or uh, Australia. And once again, it brings around, you know, there's all kind of different diving for different interests. I'm sure a lot of people have no interest in coming up here and going with me up into Michigan and jumping into a river in January. <laughs> but, you know, there's different diving for different different interests, and that's that's just cool. And I love seeing the video coming out of any dives. You know, the, the cave videos, you know, the, the pretty fish videos from the warm tropical waters, which I, I can't go there. I'd be afraid. I'd be able to see what's in the water. But, yeah. Yeah, Paul, talk, just, talk. Go ahead. It's just, it's really cool seeing that they're going into this mine and they're being allowed into this mine. And it almost seems like the mine company, the mining company is endorsing them. And, you know, they're bringing up some artifacts for them. And they're, evidently they must have some kind of museum or their main office has cool stuff on the wall. Because, you know, Pointer states that he would like to, to have that and actually put it on display. So that's pretty cool. Well, that does it for the news section. We have some uh, potentially cool scuba gear. First one up is a... Uh, shark migration studied with an underwater robot. So we won't go into depth in reading the article. You can get that in the show notes, which I will be posting this week. Last week I got sick over the weekend and just slept and didn't do any of the show notes. So I've got a double whammy this weekend. But uh, it's quite a big underwater robot they got there. Looks more like a torpedo. Now the one end, it almost looks like a big pen. Is that like a, a writing nub out the back? I'm not sure. I, I look at that and it's it's kind of an odd robot because it looks like a torpedo with a fin on the wrong end. Is that the front? I can't tell which way it's forward. I Maybe think that the pointy is, end is the front. I think you're right. It is the front. Hmm. It's probably an antenna because they're using these tags. They've got the, these, they're calling them a VMT tag that they're tagging the sharks with. And it looks like they're using this to follow where the sharks are. Hmm. It said it's not only going to tell us where they are, but who they're with. It's a social network for sharks. So this is like Shark Book or something. Shark Book. Nice. So if you so if you want, uh, if that's not your idea for scuba gear, this next one should do it. Uh, GoPro just announced a new camera housing today. This is on Thursday, October 18th. Uh, the GoPro 3. And uh, it's a Hero 3. Um, it's, it, it's, oh, darn, a video started playing, which I don't want to listen to. Um, crap. How do I heck? How do I heck do I stop this? Well, I'm killing stop it. <laughs> it. There's no stop button, <laughs> so I just had to sh- shut the window down. But uh, uh, basically, it's an ad for the GoPro Hero Three. Uh, they were saying that it's going to ha- it. They've increased the resolution and they've also added Wi-Fi to it. Now, I'm I'm not clear if the Wi-Fi is going to work underwater, but they do have a remote that works with the Wi-Fi and can control up to 50 cameras at the same time. I can't see the Wi-Fi working underwater. Yeah, if it does, that would be interesting. Where, where I think the the value of the Wi-Fi is, is imagine if you were all jumping out of plane at the same time, and you wanted to. Most people, I think, just leave them running all the time. But right. if you wanted to have them synchronized somehow, it seems like the Wi-Fi could help you with that. And then also, well, I think they showed in one shot where it was playing back the video that was coming from underwater. So we'll have to get some more details on it, whether it's going to work underwater or not. Because they were doing it in aquariums, so maybe, you know, I don't know how, maybe it can go five feet or so. Yeah, I'd be curious to see some of the results that come out of it in deeper water. 
and if this uh, the ability to go underwater, the housing, if they've also incorporated the flat port lens with this new camera and get, got rid of that vignetting that the earlier models had? You know, I'm going to say probably not. I don't know why I'm not being optimistic on it, but I think that they're pretty much just going to do minor improvements and then leave it up to third-party companies to add the extra expensive features. That could be so. We'll have to dig in and get some more info. So that was just announced today. So I expect with uh, DEMA coming up and everything else that there'll be some good press releases coming out. And also I've heard that uh, the new cameras aren't going to be available in the mass retailers. So the only place to get them is at your local uh, small box stores, dive shops. I love hearing that. Outdoor outfitters, yep. Love hearing that. I'll be curious to see what this what this camera actually is capable of doing and what they've what they've done to it. The dive market is a very small portion of what GoPro is is out there shooting for. Yeah, yeah. Skateboarders, uh, skydivers, mountain bikers. I mean, anybody. I mean, I've even seen people just put them on regular cars and bicycles. Yes. So. Or ice divers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would have been funny. Yeah. Well, in fact, uh, one of the videos we'll have coming up here a little bit was shot with the uh, GoPro. Uh, now we ha- do have some uh, photos from the week. I would say it would have been a normal article, but it's in uh, Russian, so I have no idea. But And I did run it through Google Translate, and there's not a whole lot of interesting in the in the comments. So if you run it through Google Chrome and then hit Translate, it will translate it for you. But uh, just some interesting objects. This is off Israel in the Red Sea, and somebody's tried to make a underwater park, and they have steamrollers, and there's one object I can't figure out what it is. So one with the we talked about barrels earlier. It's barrels, and it looks I don't know is that a sculpture? Extreme Team Blue Dragon. There's a, quite a few that look like boats of some kind. Yeah. Well, they they had some of the duck boats. Uh, some of them were uh, European amphibious vehicles, and some of them look very much like the American versions. We've got a couple here in town that are still moving around from World War II, and they look very similar to that. Um, yeah, yeah some, I do see a couple pictures of the Duck Ws. Yeah, and then they had uh, a girder from high-tension lines, yep, some more duck boats. Uh, yeah, a couple boats, a couple double-decker, call them party barges. That kind of reminds me of a heavy-duty version of the uh, fireboat that we dive off of uh, Sagatuck before it collapsed. So uh, some cool photos. So a little bit of what you can see in the Red Sea off of Israel. and Some good photography. Yeah. And then next up we have uh, some videos. So the first one, <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the first one. And, and everybody, it's a, it's a short video, so you should watch this. Even if you have to pause for a moment or, or go away, we, we can wait. Uh, I just posted the link into the chat room. <laughs> Let the you guys laughing. really do need to see this. Oh. It, if you're having a bad year this year, this will yeah. help you. Yeah, and this is not how we recommend doing an ice dive. I usually recommend a little bit more protective gear, meaning a wetsuit or a dry suit. And then uh, the the entry is not normally the way to do it. Do you call that the giant slide entry? Yeah, kind of gi- giant slide. Yeah, uh, there's... Going to be some medical treatment I could see in the future there. At least some more ice applied strategically later. Yes, along with some uh, rum. Perhaps. So we have that one, and then the other video we have is one that was. Uh, I got to pull that up to, to see the whole all the details to it. But this one was from Seattle. That was shot on Sunday. It's time lapse shot with a GoPro Hero 2 in time lapse mode. 
they tried to time it. Uh, they knew that they were going to have some rain. So uh, Laura James out there uh, and uh, her dive buddy went and uh, scoped out the place. And they, they put the camera in the water and then came back later. And I don't, I, I kind of, I'd love to ask her if she realized that when she came back, it was going to be so dark. But I would uh, guess probably not. But it's a three-minute video, and you have to make it past halfway. The first half, you kind of go, okay, well, that's it. And what this is, this is an outfall off the uh, Alki Beach in Seattle, and the rain is coming. And what happens in a lot of these storm drains is that they go right from the drain there out in the water. And that's why a lot of them you see around here in Michigan, they've actually got a a picture of a fish on, and they say, don't, you know, pour no waste or, or something like that. And it's because it goes directly in. These storm drains don't get filtered. So if you pour oil, you pour antifreeze, uh, you know, just junk off the roadway, it goes right on in. And this shows you dramatically what's coming out of the that outfall. It's an interesting video. Yeah. And she's got a website, uh, tox-ick.org. And she's also got another one, uh, btlg project.com. So uh, Laura James, she, also, she she does a lot of uh, environmental uh, dives, uh, batteries, pulling batteries out. She she probably pulled a you know couple dozen batteries out of uh, Seattle waters this last year. I wouldn't mind pulling a few hundred batteries out of the water. Oh yeah, yeah. There 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 yeah. There's a little incentive. You can make a little coin with those. Okay, so that does it for the videos. And scuba news overall. So this last week, I, I've had my gear out for service, so I didn't get a dive in. Uh, there was a group of divers who went to Lake 16 this last week. They said the conditions were actually pretty good. Uh, it's been a good year for Lake 16. I think it's just because we haven't had the rain. And for the same reason uh, that it's been good in the rivers, it's also been good in the uh, the ponds. Just not a lot of water flowing into them. So as long as they have enough natural flow or they don't lose so much water, they're they're doing pretty good. So they had a, a nice dive. They had a brand new diver, you know, less than 10 dives under his belt. And they took him down there. And he was doing some wetsuit diving. So nice, uh, good for him. Now, did you get any diving in this week? No. Um, well, in the pool Wednesday night with a class. But uh, I have not been in the water since the uh, almost dive in the Cooper. Um, I will be trying on Saturday, Saturday morning, to see if I can clear. It worked pretty well in the pool this week. So I'm going to head out this weekend and try. Yeah, I've been. Fight, I was. Your water's up there. You you didn't have a lot of algae problem this summer. Um, no, I mean we had some normal low viz like Diamond Lake this year. Viz has been kind of crappy in the summer, which we thought it would be better. Um, Gull Lake was about normal. Um, I don't know if anybody's gone and tried uh, Singer Lake. That one's usually pretty poor in the summer with algae. But uh, we we're in a river and had some excellent river dives this year. So I'm going to say it wasn't any worse than normal. I also think that without that farmers weren't fertilizing as much and without you know the worst for some of these algae blooms is when they fertilize and then it rains. So with with not a lot of rain yeah. I just don't think we're getting a lot. And then uh I heard that Pawpaw was amazingly good visibility. Mac was in it before he hurt his back. And they've had some good vis they uh poison the lake to kill some invasive plant species and weeds and it's just killing them not being able to get in there because he says there's absolutely nothing as far as weeds. You can go out to the end of some docks and see right to the bottom, which is wow. unheard of. And especially right now with it getting cold, even if there was anything and the weeds are starting to die off. So this is a good time to get in. Uh, it's, it, you know, if you, if you think it's too cold, you're missing out. Um, 
and then I've got a dive. Can't say anything about it uh, now, but we'll certainly be talking about it next week if it actually does happen. So I've got one uh, scheduled for Saturday, which I'm excited about. So I can't nice. wait. Can't wait. So Did you get your I, gear back from service? No, I don't have my gear back from service, but I'm borrowing gear. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, one thing you've got enough of up there. Yeah, there's. Well, especially with uh, with Mac being a little crippled, uh, he's going to let me use some of his stuff. So, and plus, I got to replace that fin. I don't know if I mentioned that last week. That lost fin, so I still got to replace that. That's actually uh, one of the goals for Saturday. We've got a fin lost somewhere, and it, of course, it, the guy that lost it dropped it in the deep hole where all of the sediment ends up. And deep hole is you know about thirty six feet, and the bottom ten feet is just black. And it's a black fin. So, yeah, it's all by feel anyway. <laughs> yeah, get a braille dive. So, yeah, the, the, this will be a new spot that I'll be doing a dive in. And it's not normally uh, a place where we get to dive. So it will be interesting to see how that turns cool. out. Now, has anybody been back over in the uh, St. Joe since we were over there? Is, is the viz still the same? I, I don't think it's going to get any worse. The only problem we're going to run into now is with the leaves falling in, you're going to start to get some tannic acid starting. So the water will start okay. to get a tint, and then also you get the leaves on the bottom, which covers up the bottle. So you got to move those away. So you intentionally create some poor visibility just trying to get down to bottle hunt and pull stuff up. But yeah, I'm not aware of anybody actually going in since we went in, which is hard to believe. Once I get that video edited, <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, it is say, on the list. We still have ice video from two years ago, so. Uh, you, you, you've got time before the, the clock ticks away too much. Nice. Yeah, and the tannic acid, that's the same problem you have in the Cooper River. All the tannins coming in out of the uh, swamps is what gives it that coffee tinge. And see, I really didn't think that was all that bad. Uh, it's just it's amazing how dense it is. It doesn't take 10, 15 feet, and it's dark. Yeah, I, I, I can't attest to that this year. Yeah, and then uh, I've seen some video of uh, some of the Florida rivers. You know, coming out of the Everglades being the same way. That's all good. And and you you were right uh, about cold water being good to dive in. I, I've The best visibility I have ever seen is in cold water. Not counting tropical Caribbean, but the stuff that we can actually get to to dive often. Yeah, because... Under the ice. Oh, yeah. We've had some... Uh, and, and that's some things that we'll do. We'll time when we go in the river. Uh, we get some really good dive conditions if we have no rain... Lake Michigan freezes, but the river stays open. We can swim out at the end of the uh, the channel right before it goes underneath the ice, mm-hmm. and that's about the only time of the year you can actually see down there. So nice. uh, if we get an opportunity to do that, we might be pulling up some objects from there as well. We know there's stuff there. We just, you know, between boat traffic and conditions, there's really no easy, good way to get in there. So that's about the one time of the year we might be able to do it. Now, do you guys ever get to dive the beach area right yeah, we've there do- at St. Joe? Yeah, we've 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 dove the beach, and uh, Mac does uh, metal detecting there in the beach, uh, usually without scuba gear. But yeah, they're they're in there quite a bit, and and we've dove it. When you when you dive the beach, it's really not a whole lot to see. You know, it's just sand bottom. Well, I just figured the stuff that all the uh, swimmers lost. Yeah, and and that's where the metal detector comes from. If if you grab a metal detector out there, you can usually find some good stuff. But along the piers are your best bet. Things tend to collect right there. Just things drifting down the river, getting caught on the pilings, or just fishermen dropping stuff in. I mean, golf balls. I mean, there's hundreds of them right there. It's like they all they all collect 
right there in, against the pier. Um, you know, sunken jet skis. Uh, there's scrap from when they built the pier uh, a few years ago. They had a storm that it knocked these, I would say they're four foot by 12 foot by quarter inch sheets of steel. The waves drew, uh, uh, flipped them off the pier. <laughs> oh, wow. And those are down there, so you can see those. And there are boulders bigger than a semi-truck that they've used for, for constructing the, the pier. So uh, a lot of stuff to see. You have to be careful if you're not experienced with that because there is a surge of the waves moving on the pier. Mm-hmm. And you can get drawn into the cracks pretty easy. But, uh, you know, if, if you're safe about it and know what you're doing, it's an interesting dive. I'll have to put that on my list. Yeah. And then there's some uh, there's some water. I'm diving into the, uh, the inlet. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the, did we do that inlet? Oh, yeah, we did. We Didn't we just get down when Jim called us back up? We were close to, we were over at the, uh, that was the. Um, we did the Havana and then we did. The we water gonna, intake for. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an old, old uh, St. Joe water intake. Yeah. Yep, off the corner. Yeah, we were beach. heading towards it when Jim sent out the recall because of the uh, the lightning. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I wouldn't have heard that. We were safer underwater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that about does it. Um, as always, make sure you head on over to the uh, Scuba Obsessed site, www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, also, make sure you put a pin on our fan map if you haven't done so. How you do that is you go to Scuba Obsessed. Uh, gosh, I, I haven't done the link in a while. I can't even tell you where the directions are. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah, so you go to Scuba Obsessed. I think you go to About. Go to our fans, and there'll be a fan map. You click on that over. And you can place a pin. And that's what all the really cool divers do. And then, uh, as always, we love those four-star, those four five-star iTunes reviews, or you can give a review on TalkShoe. Either one will work out well. If you want to send us notes about the show, it's the show at scubaobsessed.com. We do look at them. And then you can also see us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed or from the Scuba Obsessed website. You can click on over to our Google Plus page. Which they need to have something a little bit easier. You know, the, they have the personalized URLs on Facebook. They need to do the same thing for uh, Google Plus if they hope that that will take off. On Twitter, it's at Scuba Obsessed. And we have all sorts of news. Uh, you can, if you follow our Twitter stream, it'll take you to the, the Scoop It news. And usually every day we have three or four news articles, many of them that we don't make onto the show. But if you're into underwater or scuba or uh, fish, there's plenty on there. And Darren, I've got to really push scoop it. If uh, somebody's following the show and they're into diving, they really need to be following scoop it because that is that is incredible. Getting the emails that pop up and you can look at it. If the headline looks interesting, you can dig into it deeper. Scoop it is awesome. You get a lot of lot of up to date information about what's going on in the world mm-hmm. that affects diving. Yep. So the URL for that is www scoop s-c-o-o-p dot i-t forward slash t forward slash scuba obsessed and uh that will get you to it and we have we have a lot of people who who follow and listen to the show so we put a, a lot of content on that seems seems like i'm forgetting something maybe it's that that bad scuba joke i almost forgot oh so you, you think you're bad you, you think you're ready for it hang on let me get the seatbelt fastened on my desk chair buckle on in i'm buckled in Okay, so let's see. I've got three of them here. I'll pick this, and we'll go from the top. One day, a scuba diver took a train from Paris to Frankfurt. When he got in, he said to the ticket man, Sir, I really need you to do me a favor. I have to get down this train in Mannheim, 
but I'm very tired and I'm sure that I will fall asleep. So what I want you to do for me is wake me up in Mannheim because I have to close a business deal there. It is very important for me. Here, I'm going to give you 100 euros for the favor, but I warn you, sometimes when I wake, I get really violent. So no matter what happens or what I say or do, make me get off the train at Mannheim. Is that clear? So the ticket man agrees, takes the 100 euros. Later, as the man falls asleep, he wakes up and realizes that he's in Frankfurt. He's so mad at the ticket man, he ran over and started yelling at him. Are you stupid or something? I paid you 100 euros to wake me up in Mannheim, and you didn't. I want my money back. Well, the man's yelling at the ticket guy. Two other guys in the train are looking at him. So one turns to the other and says, wow, look, that guy, he sure looks mad. Yeah, he's almost as mad as the guy that may get off the train in Mannheim. That definitely qualifies. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah. It kind of goes with our, our talk about sleeping underwater. You never know what's going to happen. Well, there you go. So until next week, go out there and get wet. And remember, no 55-gallon barrels of hazmat were injured in the production of this podcast. Recording has been completed.